Amen. Over to you. Elmer. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for the welcome back uh, to Northern Ireland. It's, uh, it's a joy to be here. One warning, Elijah and Elisha are called Elijah and Elisha in Scotland. So if, if I use the wrong name, I've not invented a third person in this story. It's the same person. But let me tell you another story, one you've probably all heard before. We'll make the joke about Englishmen. Two, <laughs> yeah, it's safe enough here. There were two Englishmen who were shoe salesmen, and, and they left the UK on a boat to travel far, far away. Eventually, they landed in this far-off country, and they were looking around the country, asking the question, what are the possibilities here? They walked around, and after a few days, they each sent a telegram home to their shoe factories in the UK. The first one sent home this message, situation hopeless, no one wears shoes. The second telegram read, glorious opportunity, no one wears shoes yet. Situation hopeless or glorious opportunity. Two ways of looking at exactly the same circumstances. In the context of 2 Kings 2, this passage that we've read, it's a situation hopeless story. There's been a long list of bad kings in Israel who have ignored God, who've done their own thing, who've worshipped idols who've led the people in unjust ways. It's a miserable time for the people of God. It's a depressing story of hopelessness which we come across. But in the midst of this hopelessness is light and life in the person of Elijah and Elisha. There are 50 weird guys as well in this story, maybe even weirder than me. And they are accompanying Elijah and Elisha as they make their way on the journey. And they are not making the situation better. They are making it so much worse. They are the prophets that should be renamed the depressors. At the situation, hopeless enough. But these 50 guys keep saying, do you know that the Lord is going to take your man away from you today? Do you know that the two is going to become one? That half of the light is going to be snuffed out today? And poor Elisha keeps going, yes, I know. Would you stop talking about it? Would you leave me? I don't need to hear this message over and over again. Elijah is going to die. Just leave it there. But no, on and on these guys go. But Elisha will not lose hope. In the face of the terrible, terrible history, in this moment of grief and loss, at this point of huge discover, discouragement from people who are meant to encourage you with prophecy, his faith could not have been stronger. Elisha says, let me inherit a double portion. Twice as much blessing has been in the life of of Elijah. Here's faith at the start of a new ministry in a depressing situation. Elisha wants to see more of God at work than Elijah had seen. He looks back and says, Elijah's had some great highlights. Lord, pour out more blessing. 
for the future. He's not accepting the situation hopeless narrative of these 50 prophets of doom from Jericho. He sees the glorious, glorious opportunity. And he doesn't have to wait long for the first opportunity to put his faith in action. The first glorious opportunity, it arrives when he comes back to the River Jordan. And it's the bit in the Bible that used to make me laugh as a child. I didn't hear anybody laughing out loud when the Bible was read. You must have missed the joke. You must have missed the humor. Well, we recap the story so you get it the next time. What happens? Elijah is watching as Elijah is taken up into heaven. And the Bible tells us he did something. What did he do? I heard it from somebody over there. Say it louder for us. He tore his clothes off. He ripped his clothes in half, the Bible says. But fortunately, the cloak fell from Elijah. Praise God. Provision. He picks up the cloak. He wraps it around himself. Excellent. Problem. You missed the joke. He arrives at the Jordan River. What does he do? He takes the cloak off which is fine if it's a quiet part of the Jordan, but the Bible tells us what's going on on the other side. There are 50 prophets watching. You get it? Elisha stands naked on the side of the Jordan River with 50 skeptical prophets on the other side. What a moment of great vulnerability. What a moment of great risk. And if we are not willing to be vulnerable for the kingdom of God, if we're not willing to appear foolish, if we're not willing to have a childlike faith that says, yes, God, then we're never going to see the blessing that awaits us as we step out in faith. He's saying, here I am, Heavenly Father wholly available. Nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing. He takes off the cloak, and with the fear of religious failure, which if you've belonged to a church, you know is probably more frightening than public failure. With fear of failure in front of these prophets, he cries out the most amazing prayer, Where now is the God of Elijah? Can I paraphrase for a moment? Lord, I'm about to take a step of faith here, and you better show up. I'm going to look like a right idiot in two minutes' time if you do not show up and show your power. Naked, vulnerable, at risk, in front of the religious community. He takes off the cloak, he rolls it up, and he slaps it down on the water. I can't imagine what that feels like. Fifty people waiting to say, I told you so. Fifty people waiting to point the finger. 
but the waters open and he walks over just like Elijah had done, just like the Hebrew slaves had done walking to freedom and into the promised land as they captured the city where those very prophets had come from. If you want to enter the promises of God as a person, if you want to enter the promises of God as a church, you got to get vulnerable. you got to begin doing stuff that you cannot do in your own strength. you got to come bringing nothing to the table other than your vulnerable self. Humble, vulnerable, foolish, call it what you like, empty, yet victorious. God shows up. Is that how you describe yourself as a church? An empty, humble, vulnerable, foolish church? Most churches want to be big, effective, relevant, safe, secure. We are called to be vulnerable, like little children. Are we willing to die to the values of this world for the sake of the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? And naked Elisha demands that we ask the question, what are you holding on to? He's holding on to a rolled up second-hand garment. What about you? What are you holding on to? You have to ask yourself the question, what, why did he do it? Why did, why did he throw the cloak down on the water? Why, why did he in faith expect that this Jordan would open up? And it's a really easy answer because we read the whole passage, not just part of it. He, he had seen it done before. Isn't that cool? He had actually seen it done before. Previous answers to prayer in the life of Elisha Elijah convinced Elisha that God was still on the move, despite the fact he was the only one left. Maybe he even remembered the story of Jericho when the waters opened up to allow the people of God to move across and then start walking around Jericho seven days, seven times on the last day, trumpets, blast, walls fall down. Maybe he was remembering that story. What are you remembering? as you come to a point of faith, as you come to step out in vulnerability, what is it that comes into your mind? Some of us have been in church for a long time, and I wonder if we associate more with the skeptical prophets rather than the vulnerable prophet, that we've joined the camp of situation hopeless rather than glorious opportunity. You know, there's a rumor in Europe, Central Asia, in the Middle East that the church is dying. I think statistically in Northern Ireland, it's about 1.5% per annum at the moment, the decline in church attendance. There are only a few of the 59 Baptist unions in Europe, Central Asia, and the Middle East that are actually numerically growing. Most are aging, they're in decline, and they have been for a generation you only need to walk along the street here and you see the closed churches that have been converted for other uses today to know that it is part of our story. 
we can easily get caught up in the narrative and remember the story of the skeptical prophets. However, there are people in Europe today from every corner of the globe, people who have migrated from Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan into Western Europe, people from Africa, Nigeria, from Asia, from Latin America. Belfast is a multicultural city with people living from all over the world who have a different story to tell of what God is doing in the lands they have often left. Are we hearing those stories? Are we hearing the stories of the Baptist church in Gaza? There's one little Baptist church in Gaza. Its windows were blown out on day one because a bomb hit the police station next door. They moved to the Roman Catholic Church and to the Greek Orthodox Church for safety. They thought, there's no way Israel will blow up a church. Of course, a missile then hit the Greek Orthodox Church, killing 18 people, amongst them Baptist brothers and sisters. What's their response? We're just telling the good news to our Muslim neighbors. We're just seeing people come to faith as we tell the stories of Christ and how He is with us and walks with us in the pain and the darkness of the violence in which we're living each and every day. Right now in Europe, Central Asia, and the Middle East, there are people from across the globe who have a glorious opportunity to have a first-time encounter with Jesus that they didn't have in the country that they live in, lived in. Right now, we have the opportunity to welcome people who have an experience of God elsewhere, which is overwhelming in our thoughts. In our minds, we can't imagine it. There's a guy called Mike back home in my little village church where, where I worship. Uh, when Mike arrived in the church uh, in the springtime, he looked around and he saw that in this church building that seats 80 people, there were, there were 40 empty seats. Now, no one had told Mike that people don't accept an invitation to come to church anymore. So, Mike just started inviting people to come to church. He's filled every seat. We don't have any empty seats. It's a bit like here. We only have 80 people. But he's filled every seat because no one told Mike that Scottish people don't accept an invitation to come to church. I know Scottish people don't accept an invitation to church. It's ages since I invited somebody to church. But nobody told Mike that. Mike had just arrived from Nigeria. He expected God to move. And our church is full today. Mike's not an evangelist, by the way. He's not any good at leading people to Jesus. He's just really good at inviting people to come to church. And they say yes. We were looking at our 40 empty seats and saying, situation hopeless. Mike looked and went, oh, glorious opportunity. And now the church is full. He said, glorious opportunity, Alan. I said, what's that, Mike? He said, we'll have to start other things for people to come to. I said, but they might not want to come, Mike. <laughs> you Scots. 
How do you look at it? I believe we stand at a moment of great opportunity. There are more people to reach, more people to be inspired, more people to be won over. There's a new migrant population to help us in the sharing of the good news, to build our faith, who have stories to tell us of God at work last week and last month and last year. They have seen it, and they are willing to help us and guide us and show us how we can do it also in our time and our places. There has never been a moment of greater opportunity for Baptists in Europe and Central Asia and the Middle East, but we need to change our mindset. We need to have the faith. I've seen these boxes before. I've seen them in churches in the West. But I've seen them in Israel. I've seen them in Palestine. I've seen them in Georgia. I've seen them in Kazakhstan. I've seen them at Christmas being handed out. But I've also seen the ones that didn't get handed out in Christmas and were still in the pastor's study, but were meeting needs in June and July and August and were given as birthday gifts, not just Christmas gifts. God is at work. God is moving in Europe. Filipinos are coming to faith in Israel. Burmese people coming to faith in Norway, Afghanis finding Christ in Austria, Azeris planting churches in Iran, Lebanese plant churches in Syria and Egypt, Ukrainians quite simply plant churches wherever they go. 200 Baptist churches planted since the war started, some inside Ukraine, about 195 of them outside of Ukraine. Biggest Baptist church today in Poland is a Ukrainian-speaking congregation of about 500 people who have since planted two other congregations since the war started 600 days ago or so. God is at work in our region. And these things might be small, but they are significant moves of God. Let's not be found in amongst the cynical majority. Let's be found amongst those who believe God can do it again. How would you minister if you believed that our faith could transform this neighborhood? You don't need to transform the world in one go. Just as you are going in Belfast, make disciples. As you are going, open up your home for hospitality to the hungry, to the homeless, to the new people. Hospitality doesn't count if it's with someone who's going to invite you back next week to their house for a dinner party. That's not hospitality in a Christian sense. Hospitality is to those who can never repay you for what they did. Start fostering. It's great fun. You might get killed along the way or something, but it's great fun. The night I took my wife to the doctor because she was black and blue and bitten all over wasn't fun. But we're not called to have fun. We're called to make a difference. We're called to step out in faith and the next day go again and show that radical hospitality to a city. We have increasing diversity and population growths in cities. It's a glorious opportunity. More people to reach. I mean, how would you preach if you actually believed people were listening and would change their lives because of the Word of God impacting them? How would you disciple people? 
How would you visit friends and family and colleagues? How would you act towards this community if you actually believed God could transform it just as much as He opened up the water and made the land dry? How would we live if we left the company of 50 and joined Elisha? I wonder if we've had that sense of expectation that when we take our cloaks off and make ourselves vulnerable, that when we pray for a blessing, that God would bless. That when we pray for healing for the sick, that God would heal. That when we share our faith with those who don't yet believe, that they would come to faith in Christ. That when we pray for and work for peace and reconciliation, peace and reconciliation would come. That when we welcome the outcast, that we will discover something of a new humanity and a new spirit of God within ourselves. I was in Egypt just a few weeks ago. A union of 26 churches, tiny compared to Irish Baptists. 26 churches. I met a pastor that we began supporting in 19, uh, 2014. We gave him 6,000 euros to start planting a church. That was his stipend. We gave him that for five years to see how he got on. He got on fine. He planted a church. That was great. I met him just the other week. And how's things going? He said, well, we've got three churches. Oh, that's fantastic. And he said, and, and this is the fourth one. And he takes me to a building, church building, about this size, seats five, six hundred people. Wow, impressive. What was more impressive was it was in the desert. Five hundred, six hundred seater building in the desert. As far as I can see, in every direction, sand. The sun in the horizon, but sand. I'm looking for an oasis. I'm thinking I'm stranded. Nothing. I've got to ask the question, haven't you? Why did you build a 500-seater church in the middle of the desert? Because, because, because by 2030, Cairo will be surrounding this church. By 2030, the city will be here, and we want to be ready for the city. I saw the barren desert, situation hopeless. He saw the glorious opportunity to be ready for a new population growth in Cairo that would then surround the city. What about you guys? Situation hopeless or glorious opportunity? Full church, same problem as we've got back, in, back home in Denny. We've got a full church, 80 people. That's a hopeless situation. Because there's no seats left. No seats left for the unbelievers that we know. And hardly any incentive for us to go and start inviting. Because we've learned it works. Mike has shown us. What is the glorious opportunity that God is calling you to? What is the step of faith that He's asking you to take? 
What is he asking you to leave behind? To rip off? What does it mean for you to stand naked on the edge of a flowing river and see God show up? Let's stand, shall we, and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the God who does more than we can ask or even imagine. You are the God who calls us to come and experience Your love, but You teach us that we cannot know that love because it's too great to be known. That there is no box wide enough, high enough, or deep enough to contain that love. Lord, would You fill us Fill us afresh with Your Spirit. Fill us afresh with faith for the future. Fill us afresh with faith that You are still at work today in these lands. Fill us afresh that as we look at churches that are closed and as we look at churches that are full, that we see the opportunity to go further, to take a new step of faith, to reach out and to bless those who do not know You, who do not love You, but Your love is ready for. Lord, call us to be that gospel people who truly believe that the cross is the one and only effective thing today that will transform lives. Lord, take us, and would You strip us bare before Your throne and allow us to step out in Your power and in your authority in the days that lie ahead. Amen.